Greetings, friends, and welcome to the What's Right Show. Happy Monday. We're here. Sam Rajovsky here, your host. News Talk 840 KXNT, live and local, 1 to 3 p.m. Uh, all right, so it's <laughs> these kind of stories. I think we'll see continued, um, well, increasing volume of them as we get uh, through the next few months. Note cards and shorter stairs. How Biden's campaign is addressing his age. Yes, AIDS, and this, by the way, this is an NBC News, right? Mainstream media openly discussing the feebleness of the President of the United States and his re-election chances. Aides to Biden appear to be making concessions to Biden's advanced years, hoping to avoid viral moments that would reinforce voters' worries about his fitness. Now, it on its face, it seems like a complimentary piece. Look at the hardworking men and women in the White House who are doing everything possible to make Joe look good because, you know, eh, Biden's got things to do. He's got important things to make happen in the country. But deep within this article, I think, are, well, again, signs that the mainstream media's patience with Biden is wearing thin, particularly with his insistence that he's fine to run for re-election. I was talking to a, a very politically connected friend over the weekend, and when I said, you know, I just keep thinking that it's more likely than not that Biden doesn't make it through the primaries. And he said, well, what do you mean? Do you mean health-wise? I said, no, I think he's going he's gonna to survive. It's not, it's not his, his physically, made, politically making it. I'm not so certain that Biden is going to end up being the nominee. And my friend outright told me I was crazy that this was poo-pooing and saying, Sam, you know, trust me, he's going to be the nominee and I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's a done deal. And I said, well, look, nothing, I go back to my usual thing. It's nothing's a done deal. And what happens if the press turns on him? Now, I've said this before, the conditions for the mainstream media turning on Biden will come down to the fact whether or not they believe that he is reelectable, whether or not they believe that he has the chops to get himself a second term. If they conceivably believe that there is a, a possibility that he won't get Team Democrat across the finish line, what's going to happen? Sooner or later, the people inside D.C. are going to go, well, listen, we've, we have a problem. Because the only way that this all gets preserved is if Donald Trump or another one of these horrifying Republicans gets into office, or so goes the thinking inside the swamp. And they'll, they'll jettison Biden. The first article of this piece NBC put out, the president of the United States tripping and falling is never a good moment in the throes of a re-election campaign. Well, that's, that's the truth. Remember when Hillary Clinton got the feigning spells in New York City? They had to rush her to her mobility van. And I would say that that is one of the five most defining moments of the 2016 general election. 
and may well have been one of the key things that led her to losing the race. There was, I'm just going to go back to 2016, there was open discussion about the fact that Hillary's health was not okay. She was wearing those funny prism glasses. We've all forgotten this, right? We've just moved on. We've forgotten about Hillary. It's all about Biden now. But the press carried water for her then too, and it backfired and backfired spectacularly, especially if you consider that their mission at the time was to do anything and everything from keeping from, from Donald Trump reaching the White House. So what this, by the way, what this article is describing about the stairs, this is a feature of Air Force One. Air Force One has the ability to open a door along the side from the main entrance to the airplane the president almost always uses is on the main deck of the, of the, of, of the plane. And what they do, they, they'll put up uh, some air stairs that, that will come up to the airplane, usually have carpet on them, and that's the you know, ceremonial entrance that the president always uses. You've seen it thousands of times. Now, what the Air Force One has the option of having some built-in stairs that are shorter and lower. They come out of the what would normally on a 747 be the cargo hold of the airplane, and they come down, and it's it's a means of which you know the Air Force One has the ability to for for a, you know access into the plane, you know even without the air stairs. So he's using those. We'll call them usually kind of for emergency exigent circumstances. Bush used them in visits to the Middle East, to Iraq. You know, when, when, when they don't want, you know, a big target on, on the president, they'll, they'll get him in and out of the plane using those bottom stairs. So they're using those stairs now, and you'll see it in photographs of Biden kind of, you know, hobbling down those. It's, it's getting bad. And they're not just doing it, though, for the optics. They're doing it because he genuinely is unwell. And he may be a trip or two away from, well, from, from fatally injuring his reelection bid. So this, um, this is what it's, but you're now, I'm telling you, six months ago, you would not have seen articles. You would not have seen pieces in the news, mainstream media, you know, NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, discussing this type of stuff openly. In the 2020 election, they assured us everything was fine, even though those of us with a bit of skepticism recognized that Biden was hanging out in his basement and that the excuse of COVID, et cetera, was flimsy at best. His wandering, uh, meandering speeches that he would give comments, talking about corn pop and uh, kids rubbing his bronzed leg hairs. I mean, all of that stuff was strange. And it was not the, those were not the musings of a well person, but the media covered it up. Now they got burned almost there because, you know, Biden, it took a Herculean effort to get him across the finish line. What if, what if now that it's four years later and he is far worse off than he was in the last campaign, the media is unable to keep a lid on it, and it costs Biden the election. It costs the Democrats the presidency. And that's when the media turns. They turn when they realize four years, I don't care if it's Trump or, or Ramaswamy or someone, the idea of four years of opportunity to 
populate the Supreme Court, for example, with more conservative judges is enough to give these people the vapors. So that's where they're coming from. By the way, I, I actually, speaking of the Supreme Court, the most outrageous, the most outrageous movement is afoot right now. And it's best, I'll get to it here after the break, but the, the, the best way to summarize it is uh, some leading left-wing crazy lawyers have come up with a plan. And the way the way to save the country, the way to save the country is by doing what? Guess what? They're urging Biden to just not listen to decisions that come from the Supreme Court. It is nothing short of outrageous. I'll share this with you in a moment. Can you imagine the president of the United States willfully disregarding decisions that come from the highest court in the country? This is... Um, by the way, Biden's, Biden's nibbling on this. He's nibbling. I'll explain. Sam Marjofsky here, News Talk 840, KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. This hour brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law because you deserve what's right. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. All right, be honest with me. Who saw the Barbie movie? You know, show of hands out there. Sam Urchofsky, News Talk 840. KXNT, you're listening to the What's Right Show. Happy Monday, folks. No, I didn't. To answer your question, I did not, and I won't. I know there's there are people out there who have... You know, went to watch uh, the movie and and saw it and have given their opinions about it. Uh, I know when something's stupid. I I can see it a mile away. I didn't I didn't see this. I didn't see the the you know the new mermaid movie. I I'm not gonna go see Seven uh, Snow White and the uh, and the Seven Misfits. Uh, I, I'm not. But I did, by the way, I did love reading Pierce Morgan's piece on this this morning. I mean, he, the idea, basically what he's saying is he went and saw the movie and he thought it was absolute drivel. And the basis of the movie, a basis of his opinion of the Barbie movie being drivel is that it's about uh, just a world that doesn't need men. Like Barbie kind of has Ken hanging around and then, then ultimately she decides she can do it all without him and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a girl power type of thing. But at the same time, I mean, girl power is fine, but at the same time, it really puts down and belittles men, which Pierce Morgan points out would be, uh, if done in the reverse, if, let's say, Pierce were to make a movie that just belittled feminism and women nonstop, that it would be the end of him. But that's, of course, yeah, that's, of course, true. So the, the, I, I'm just, the aesthetic of it, everything, I'm not interested at all in seeing it. And I did not get to see Oppenheimer. I, I will go see that movie, and I'll, I'll give you my thoughts when I, when I do. I typically don't storm these movies right the first weekend. I'm, I wait a little bit. So I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. Now, just before the break, I was, I was mentioning, you know, one of the, 
one of the greatest thorns in the side of the American left right now is the Supreme Court. They are beside themselves. I, I can't overemphasize this. If you talk to a politically engaged liberal Democrat and you start asking them, what's bothering you? Because on its, on its face, right? I mean, they seem to be getting their way on, on most stuff. They've got the DOJ and the FBI in their pocket. They got Donald Trump is, you know, uh, you know dying a you know, death of a thousand cuts. Uh, you have a country that is being run almost exclusively with the exception of the House of Representatives and the Supreme Court. It's being run by Democrats otherwise. You'd be thinking that these are wins, but they're not, and they're not paying attention necessarily. I mean, rank-and-file liberal Democrats out there that aren't in politics but are peripheral to it and watch it and, and observe it. They are not necessarily concerned with what the House of Representatives are doing. They view that very unfairly and unwisely. They view that as a sideshow. But they are all consumed, mark my words, they are all consumed by the Supreme Court. They view the Supreme Court as not legitimate. They believe that Biden and the Biden administration ought to increase the number of Supreme Court justices. Remember, the number nine is not prescribed in the Constitution, so in theory could be increased by the President of the United States. He simply could uh, add justices, nominate additional justices. Uh, the problem would be would have some problems, I think, in the Senate, even among some Democrats. They would simply uh, could could refuse to hear that that you know the tenth or the eleventh nominee. They probably keep an, an odd number because, of course, tiebreakers and all that. Uh, but that's that's um, that's happening out there, folks. They are beyond upset about the Supreme Court. And they're upset about Dobbs, which is the abortion decision. They believe that that was an illegitimate decision. They're now furious about affirmative action, which is uh, just decided a few weeks back in the Arizona case. Uh, and, and so I'm just, I'm just, excuse me, North, North Carolina and, uh, and Harvard. Uh, so I'm, I'm just, I'm telling you, this is, they are, they're reeling about this. And this is why, this is the context for an open letter that was sent to President Biden. And I have it here, um, I have it here in front of me. This is a, a two, um, two professors, prominent professors. One is the Harvard, a Harvard law professor, Mark Tushnet. The other one is a political science professor from San Francisco State University. His name is Aaron Belkin. Now, if you look at Belkin's resume, I have to say this right off the bat because it's, it's fabulous stuff. His top projects, this is on his own website. So what does Aaron Belkin tout about himself? What is the most important contribution that this political science San Francisco State University professor has con contributed to the world? Military diversity. Producer Robbie's laughing. Military diversity. It talks about all the ways that Mr. Belkin has, uh, has, has contributed to uh, the military being more diverse. 
militarism and gender. That's another big one. Uh, so that's something he does some research on. Anyway, that's who he is. And Harvard Law Professor Mark Tushnet, also a big liberal. So here's the open letter to the President of the United States. And it is all about ignoring, urging the President of the United States to ignore rulings made by quote-unquote MAGA Supreme Court. This is uh, unbelievable. Now, this uh, let, let me just back up here. They're, they're calling it popular constitutionalism. And this is, this is a theory out there that has been propagated by, by others along the way that, um, that, that basically says that we ought to – the president of the United States also has a say in what's constitutional and isn't, and that uh, part of that duty, that presidential duty, is to protest – the Supreme Court, when they make a decision that is, in the opinion of the president, wrong, and that the president has a right and even a duty to go in opposition, act in opposition to what the Supreme Court says. And the reason is popular constitutionalism, which I think is sort of euphemistic language for dictatorship. <laughs> Just, oh, I see. We have checks and balances in our system. The Supreme Court and the Constitution given plenary powers to review the constitutionality of government action and legislation. And no, according to these two bozos, the president should just disregard the Supreme Court when he sees fit, called it popular constitution. Because, of course, the political solution is if, if we, the people, don't like what the president is doing, well, then we're just going to vote him out of office. We'll just vote him out. That's, that's how we do it. This is the most outrageous thing I have read in a long time. We urge President Biden to restrain MAGA justices immediately by announcing that if and when they issue rulings that are based on gravely mistaken interpretations of the Constitution— that undermine our most fundamental commitments, the administration will be guided by its own constitutional interpretations. This is, well, this is profoundly unconstitutional, of course, and it is a load of crap. Now, what's fascinating about this, and I'll tell you this because what they're really advocating is for Biden to take a dictatorial position. They're taking... Their perspective on this is how, <laughs> how do, what could Biden do to exercise his ad, administrative executive power and go into and invade the sphere of the Supreme Court in its, in its review, his legal review, right? The, yeah, it's, it's of law. It's astounding. Now, don't think for a minute that Biden isn't tempted by this. In fact, he's made some pronouncements along the way that suggest that he's very tempted by this. Uh, but I tell you, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, this would absolutely end. Um, this would, this would be the the death knell 
of a Biden presidency, as if it couldn't get any worse if you were to listen to this. But this is what the left fantasizes about right now. They would love to just ignore the Supreme Court. Well, interestingly enough, it's the Supreme Court that's getting things right. I think that's what bothers them. Sam Marjofsky, back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. Sam Marjofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show, your place for common sense conservatism, Monday through Friday, uh, 1 to 3 p.m. So I guess Kamala Harris is in a little bit of, well, foot and mouth trouble again. And I don't think anybody's surprised here, except I have a take on it that I haven't heard anywhere else, and I'm... And I just uh, want to mention this. So, so anyway, uh, Kamala Harris goes down Friday. She's at the Ritz Theater and Museum in Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville is uh, north of, of Orlando. She goes down there and, and she, um, well, she says, she says a couple of things. Here's a little, a little taste of, uh, of some of her announcements. When I think about what is happening then here in Florida... I am deeply concerned because let's be clear, I do believe this is not only about the state of Florida. There is a national agenda afoot. And what is happening here in Florida? Extremists, so-called leaders, for months have dared to ban books, book bans in this year of our Lord, 2023. Extremists here in Florida pass a law, don't say gay, trying to instill fear in our teachers that they should not live their full life and love who they love. Oh my gosh. First off, does anybody find her voice palatable? Does anybody listen to Kamala Harris and go, now there is, those are some sweet, smooth, dulcet tones of a great speaking uh, order, right? I mean, I I find it to be on par. I'm talking just about her voice, her presentation, how she strings words together. I find it to be on par with nails on a chalkboard. Now, she's started off these remarks talking about the don't say gay bill. Again, this is not about teachers being who they are and, and, and not living their full life. That's not what this is about. It's about teaching kindergartners about sex and sexual orientations and and identity and gender, all that stuff. Leave the kids alone until they're in the fourth grade. And if you try to do this, you need parental consent. It's a parental consent bill. So for the umpteenth time, these people keep repeating a lie. But then... But then Kamala Harris couldn't help herself, and uh, she just uh, took it a step further. And now, on top of all of that, they want to replace history with lies. (laughs) Middle school students in Florida 
to be told that enslaved people benefited from slavery. High schoolers may be taught that victims of violence, of massacres, were also perpetrators. I said it yesterday. They insult us in an attempt to gaslight us, and we will not have it. I have listened to a lot of Kamala Harris speak over the years. First off, I have an observation to make. I think she's making herself ah, sound different. I'm listening to the speech, and she's putting an an effort to relate to African-American voters. That is, that's my... My 10 cents, right? This is not her, this is not her, her cadence. You go back to Kamala Harris in California, uh, back when she was attorney general here, uh, there in California, and she was uh, you know, then in the Senate. This is, this is all stuff that, that was, you know, this is all stuff that, that is a matter of record. Her voice, okay, her accent, it sounds different. So, I think she's putting on an, uh, an act there. Now, this statement, it turns out, about Florida curriculum teaching kids that black people benefited, actually, in some way from slavery, is a naked falsehood. It is absolutely, patently untrue. She picked this thing up on Twitter and flew into Jacksonville, Florida, and ran with it. So Scott Jennings, yesterday on CNN, State of the Union with Dana Bash, absolutely went to town on this, calling it a fabricated moment and shameful. Listen. It's amazing to me that how little Kamala Harris apparently has to do, that she can read something on Twitter one day and be on an airplane the next to make uh, something literally out of nothing. This is a completely made-up deal. I looked at the standards. I even looked at an analysis of the standards in every instance where the word slavery or slave was used. I even read the statement of the African-American scholars that wrote the standards, not Ron DeSantis, but the scholars. Everybody involved in this says this is completely a fabricated issue. And yet, look how quickly Kamala Harris jumped on it. So the fact that this is her best moment, a fabricated matter, is pretty ridiculous. Now, I have... You know, I have a a theory here, Uh, and hear me out, because Kamala Harris is is one of the greatest obstacles right now for the Biden re-election effort. Now, you would think that giving her a high-profile visit down to Florida, uh, down to to Jacksonville, to talk, um, you know, to hit the state uh, board of education, to go after DeSantis's hate-filled propaganda, all this stuff. And going down there instead to, you know, and, and she ends up brazenly lying about this whole thing. I, I just can't help but think, on some level, are people inside the Biden administration knowing full well what a buffoon she is? Are they going to start to deploy her more around the country to ridicule her off the ticket? Because I, people are asking if this, if this trip was a, was a shot to boost her image. And the media people are actually saying this. They, they were saying it all weekend. Oh, look, this is, they're raising her profile. Look at this, you know, 
what you know this is this is uh, this is the effort of the administration to take their asset asset what, what do you mean asset how is kamala harris an asset <laughs> she's an embarrassment this is this is brutal and i i mean and, and then and then even cnn allows jennings to go on and and just and brutalize this uh, i think i think I think it's not insignificant. I think it's, it's something we ought to be paying attention to. Now, some people, by the way, some people like Washington Post, Jonathan Capehart, tried to put some, some lipstick on this. Uh, this is uh, Friday night with PBS NewsHour. Th- this is probably the most charitable uh, takeaway anybody could have of it. It's, um, I don't know if it's going to do much, though. The vice president going down to Florida is a great thing because she is uniquely qualified to talk about this as the first uh, black woman, the first um, uh, South Asian American to hold the office of vice president. When she speaks about issues of race, when she speaks about issues of culture, when she speaks about issues of choice, she is speaking from the heart. And that is the most genuine she can be. And it is an asset to the Biden-Harris ticket as they go into a presidential election in 24, where those issues are going to be paramount. This is, of course, uh, the what we'll call the administration apologist take. Notice, by the way, how Capehart goes in there and said the first, uh, I heard him want to say African-American woman, which... Kamala Harris is not uh, so she's a black woman, South Asian American. Yeah, okay, so he goes start all of her qualifications. Those are qualifications, according to the mainstream media, is what race you are, what you look like, where you're from, what genitals you were born with. None of this matters, of course. It's irrelevant. You don't get to spew lies and you don't get to tell bald-faced falsehoods just because you're uniquely qualified to talk about something because of how you look, what you appear like. The saddest thing about it is it seems very few people on the left have made a realization that because they prioritized Kamala Harris's uh, well, f- physical credentials. Because they put what she looks like over her substance, over her smarts, her intelligence, her accomplishments, because they prioritized things that they shouldn't have, they viewed qualifications differently than you or I do. They've now gotten themselves into this predicament, which is, She's not the biggest asset to the Biden-Harris ticket. She's the, even with Joe falling downstairs, even with Joe not remembering where he is, even with Joe sniffing, every human he gets near, particularly those who are younger and female, even with the scandal that is unfolding, by the way, more developments on that over the weekend, even with everything Joe Biden has going against him, it's Kamala Harris that is, is the death knell because everybody looks at Joe and goes, all right, so if you go tomorrow, if you drop dead, uh, who's taking your place? And they look one, they one pass at Kamala and, and, and he goes, this, this person is a disaster. 
And this is where I'm not saying, well, she is. She's one of the many Biden administration affirmative action hires. It is why this administration is largely so incompetent. Because at every, every strata and every place you look in every corner of this White House, you see people put in there because of what they bring to the diversity of the group, not what they bring with their capability, with their intelligence, with their competence and whatnot. That's the story. And by the way, the more that Kamala Harris talks, the worse it's going to get for Biden. And so one of two things is going to happen. They're going to let her keep talking because they want her to bury herself before, well before the, uh, the primaries get underway. Or they're going to quickly tell her to shut up and go back to Washington and, 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 and stay on the dinner circuit. We'll see which of these two it hap- happens to be. But, but if, if they keep having her talk, trust me, they're, they're, they're looking to make a fool of her. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Greetings. Welcome back, friends. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Uh, Yes, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. That is me. This hour of the program brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law because you deserve what's Right. Um, I, I don't know how everybody's summer's going. Uh, by the way, I can't believe school is starting in a, in a matter of weeks. Those of you who are parents, grandparents, maybe, you know, somewhat in tune with what the kid's schedule is like. I, I don't know how it's, how it's happening. My son's going to go back on the 8th. I mean, that's, that's like uh, two, two weeks away. I, you know, and it, by the way, if your kids are in, in sports, like my son just finished Junior Olympics, was down in California uh, competing uh, with Team Vegas. So that just barely ended, you know, days ago, last week. So his summer's uh, pretty short at any rate. So what we have is high temperatures. We've got summer in full swing, at least weather-wise, but uh, school it will be back in session before we know it and and that's going to be, that's going to be, that's going to be an event. That's going to be big. So uh, I'm definitely not ready for that. I know many parents out there that I talk to are not ready for that either. Uh, but we just got to, got to get to it. Get the kids to school and and start the school year all over again. And then it flies by, rinse and repeat, and so goes life. If you need to reach me, I do respond to my emails uh, during the show, sam at samandashlaw.com, sam at samandashlaw.com. I saw this story. I just want to touch on it briefly here. The, uh, there was a store worker uh, that was uh, let go. Uh, this is in Rincon, Georgia, Lowe's Hardware Store. Uh, her name was Donna Hansborough, 68 years old. Worked at the store for 13 years, was fired after fighting off a group of shoplifters. It reminded me of the story out of Texas. There was a, uh, a store there, a Lululemon, I believe, that had the same issue occur where a couple of uh, gals working in the store, I think one was, a, was even a manager, an assistant manager of some kind, uh, 
tried to stop a robbery in progress. Thieves broke in the store and began snatching things off the shelves. They tried to interfere with it. And they were like, oh, and the CEO pretty heartlessly got on TV. Uh, this is the incident in Texas, the, uh, the Lululemon store. And he basically said, look, it's our company policy not to interfere. And it's been rolling around in my head ever since. And, and perhaps you've, you've thought about this more as well as, as these kind of cases begin to rack up all across the country. And I think... Right, I, I, I mean, this this lady here in at Lowe's in Georgia, she was, she was fired for violating store policy too. The the guy tried to get away with twenty one hundred dollars worth of merchandise, and the thief, you know, he punched her three times in the face, left her with a black eye and and a and a pink slip. Now, I understand. Okay, as a lawyer, I understand that a store has a right to set a policy, and if employees don't follow it, well then there are consequences for that. I get all that. But here's the problem. We have such rampant, unapologetic criminal activity going on nationally. And particularly, though, in these, uh, well, it's areas like, like, well, New York and San Francisco, Los Angeles, cities that somebody who steals a thousand bucks of stuff from a store, they get a slap on the wrist. They maybe get a ticket. They maybe don't even get arrested and taken to jail. And if they do, they get released later that day. People with a suspicion of DUI get spend more time in jail uh, than somebody who brazenly walks into a store and begins to steal. And I think that we as Americans have had enough of it. I think that you take someone like Donna, this gal in Georgia, 68 years old, and she is offended by the idea that somebody has the gall to walk into a store and just take things. It's not who she is. It's not how she was raised. It's not how any of us believe the world ought to work. And there is a slow fuse that is burning right now and righteously enraging people. I spent the weekend um, in Newport uh, in California, and I was uh, walking along a, a main street there. It's called Marine Avenue on Balboa Island. And I, there's small little mom and pop store, a store, excuse me, on this main street. Lots of little little boutiques sell different things, tourist stuff, clothes, etc. And these stores are, in a way that I've never noticed before, they are posting photographs of people walking in and stealing stuff. And they had a, they had a printed. A little poster of somebody, and it looked like a like a fairly nicely dressed guy, but he just walked in the store. Apparently, stole five thousand dollars worth of merchandise. Just walked out the store with it. And I think you know, and I and I, again, I've not I've not seen this kind of stuff before, or as often before as I'm seeing it now. I'm certainly aware in major metropolitan areas that that criminal activity is up. And the fact is, it is an incredibly bad look for companies to punish, that the only person likely to be punished in this incident is the victim of the robbery who gets punched in the face when all she was doing 
was protecting a store and a company that she works for from being wronged. And I, I think, you know, I just think it's, it's terribly, terribly short-sighted of these companies to, 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 to fire these, these people. Think of all the other things that you would get a reprimand for. I don't even think it's legally smart for them to fire her. I understand whatever injury she has, it's going to be a, a, a workers' comp claim, and they, they're insured for it, so they don't really care. But, I mean, I, I, I mean this is just – and by the way, if those stores have repeated thieves, you know, losses happening from people coming in the store and getting violent, and they haven't added more security, this could, this could backfire on them. But it just, it just bothers me fundamentally on a moral level why this happens. All right, Sam Marjofsky here. I'll be back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. The What's Right Show will continue. This hour brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Welcome, friends, to the What's Right Show, your place for common sense, for conservative analysis, and, well, me, Sam Rajovsky, the, well, we call myself the Nevada's favorite recovering Californian, which uh, I am trying my best, folks, to, uh, to get there. Uh, this show brought to you by Sam and Ash, Injury Law, 702-820-1234, because you deserve what's Right. So some news I need to touch on here today before we get too far through the program. Um, apparently, according to a former business partner of Hunter Biden, his name is Devin Archer. He's set to testify. Uh, he says that Hunter put his dad, then Vice President Joe Biden, on the phone with business associates at least two dozen times. In a piece by Miranda Devine in the New York Post, the Post has been working on the story since, well, I think even before 2020, but they've been on it. And of course, they were one of the, uh, the publication, preeminent publication that was, uh, well, their, their Twitter and uh, I think even their Instagram was shut down uh, just as they were beginning to report on the Hunter Biden laptop bombshell, which they had an exclusive on. Uh, they're following the story and have been doing so uh, valiantly ever since. They said, Miranda writes, uh, Divine writes, Hunter Biden would dial in his father, then Vice President Joe Biden, on speakerphone into meetings with his overseas business partners. And this is according to testimony that is expected this week in Congress. From Devin Archer. Now, Archer is uh, described as a, a former best friend of Hunter Biden. He and Hunter were inextricably linked over these various companies that uh, were set up to obtain money from foreign clients. And Archer now is uh, facing uh, jail. He's 48 years old. He's uh, participated in a uh, bond fraud. And that was, a, as I understand, is I guess a separate case from anything that he, he did with, with Hunter Biden. But 
And in either event, Archer has very little, very little uh, care left in the world about maintaining any relationships with the Bidens. And he may, in fact, also have some evidence of his own to back this up. Now, we, we started to know who this guy was because there were voluminous emails and text messages between him and Hunter Biden that were contained on the laptop. And the Republicans, of course, in Congress are salivating over this. They can't wait to talk to him because this will be somebody testifying on the record from inside the scheme. So far, most of the, if not all, the people that have come forward have had some external role. For example, uh, the his whistleblowers from the IRS and from the FBI. So at any rate, we have... Um, we have Archer uh, is going to testify. He's going to talk uh, about some meetings. For example, uh, back in 2015, uh, there was a meeting in Dubai late in the evening. And uh, it was with that Ukrainian energy company, Burisma. Now, Burisma at the time was paying Hunter a staggering $83,000 per month, per month as a director. Now, he's going to testify, this Archer character, that after a dinner with the Burisma board at the Burj Al Arab Hotel, that is, is it now, Robbie, still the tallest building in the world? That's the mega tower, very tall building in the heart of Dubai, that he and Hunter traveled six miles north to the Four Seasons Resort, Dubai, at Jumeirah Beach, to have a drink with one of Hunter's friends. They were sitting outside the bar. Vadim Porzeski, a senior Burisma executive, phoned to ask where they were because Burisma's owner, this guy that has supposedly the recordings of Hunter and even of Joe that he made from phone calls where he felt he was being extorted, Mikola Zlochevsky needed to speak to Hunter urgently. So after that... Uh, moment, the two Ukrainians joined Hunter and Archer at the Four Seasons bar, and and this one of the Ukrainians asked Hunter, "Can you call your dad?" And at that point, it was early afternoon in D.C. And Hunter called his dad, put him on speaker, placed the phone on the table, and introduced the Ukrainians to Joe Biden by name as Nikolai and Vadim. Now, this in and of itself, look, I mean. My question is, what happened after? If I'm trying to prove this case, if I'm trying to see if there are provable if-then events, so you have a condition, you have a meeting, you have a conversation, and then it produces a big payment. If you can connect that to Joe Biden, it's not good. It's not good. Now, probably, I still maintain, the worst would be if there are actual recordings of Joe Biden uh, talking to this head of Burisma. I think that would be terrible. And then, um, but, you know, but they, they uh, th- th- then, of course, you've got the shakedown emails, like the ones sent to the Chinese guys that Hunter said, hey, between me and the guy sitting next to me, referring to his dad, I will make your life a living hell if you do not come through on your promises to us. And those promises are, of course, payments. 
because soon after that text was sent, there is record of wires going in uh, to one of Hunter Biden's shell companies. So three days after that particular speaker phone call I just told you about, the then vice president, Joe Biden, now president, who was the Obama administration's head man, point man for Ukraine, was due to fly to Kiev. And remember, this is the moment in time where he goes and by his own admission, Joe Biden says, I got that prosecutor fired. What was the problem with the prosecutor? Well, that prosecutor general, Victor Shokin, was investigating Burisma for corruption. And far from cleaning up corruption, Joe Biden managed to dispose of a prosecutor looking into the people that were then paying his son $83,000 plus a month. The whole thing just absolutely stinks. There's, <laughs> I don't know what to say. So, what's the uh, what's the view on this? What's what's the what? How does this all end? Well, we'll see what the what the testimony yields, right? We'll see what the testimony yields. But it's um, well, I I mean, it's it still all comes down to, like, for example, Andrew Clyde, who's the Republican uh, uh, from. Um, uh, we're not the ranking member. He's a Republican member of the member of, approach, uh, of the Appropriations Committee, excuse me, and the Committee on Commerce, Justice, and Science. He's, he's out there front and center today on Fox Business talking about how the FBI is complicit in this cover-up because, of course, they knew about this. This was all in the 1023 form. So this stuff that Devin Archer is saying has been independently corroborated by a form that only recently has come to light. So here's Andrew Clyde uh, today on Fox Business. This 1023 form that has come out is uh, incredibly, just incredible evidence of what you see, corruption at the very top level. Our president is compromised. The Department of Justice uh, is covering up for him and has been covering up for him. This, this document is three years old. Uh, Cheryl, what has the FBI and the DOJ been doing for three years? Why don't we have copies of those auto, auto, uh, audio recordings uh, or those text messages? I mean, we can do that sort of thing. So this is, in my opinion, uh, the FBI and the DOJ is complicit with, uh, with this cover-up on this issue. Yeah, uh, this is, um, yeah, this is a great point, obviously. Now, then he gets asked, uh, if by, by Cheryl Cassoni on, on Fox Business, he gets uh, asked, uh, Congressman Clyde gets asked if De uh, Devin Archer is expected to testify. And he says this. The questions still remain. Uh, was Hunter Biden peddling his father's name? And, uh, and now, according to Miranda Devine, was he also putting his business associates on the phone with his father, who was then the vice president? And that's the testimony that we're waiting on. Do you expect Devin Archer to testify? Well, I certainly hope he does. You know, and honestly, I think we need to bring the FBI director and the um, uh, United States Attorney General into appropriations before we have our CJS hearing uh, so they can answer for this document. What have they been doing? What have they not been doing? Uh, because this is critical information the American people need for transparency. Yeah, and don't forget all the denials all the denials that Joe Biden has made over the years. I never participated in any of my son's dealings. Absolutely never happened. 
He said that time and time again. And that is all on the record. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. Back in a moment, friends. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. Sam Rajovsky here, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. One more note on the pending testimony this week on Capitol Hill of Devin Archer, likely to testify before House Republicans related to his business dealing with the Bidens. Archer was convicted a year ago of a $60 million fraud. This was a scheme where he, and based on emails that went back and forth between him and Hunter Biden, Hunter had a role in this too. This was a $60 million bond fraud perpetuated against a Native American Indian tribe here in the U.S. Now, miraculously, even though they were planning on selling this uh, their their business to this bond company, we're both working on making this deal happen using the proceeds basically of this deal well this fraud now um, since we have a a conviction a fraud against a native american tribe they're going to use that money to fund a buyout of a business in which hunter biden was a partner Uh, the president's son wasn't charged so he was not implicated he never was he never, he, he never was charged by, by the authorities in this and somehow managed to skate on it in yet another miraculous turn of events for Mr. Biden. So this story was, was, was crazy. Now, by the way, Archer got a year in jail, has to forfeit $15 million and pay north of $40 million in restitution. So that's, you know, not insignificant. Um, but during the trial, it, was, it emerged that Hunter's name was used in literature that promoted the scheme. He was named as a witness. At the time, Hunter's lawyer said that he knew nothing about it, but the defendants invoked and used Hunter's name. Apparently, this is according to the lawyers for Hunter Biden, without his knowledge, to lend their business more credibility but the problem is that on the back end, there was, there was some involvement, right? So, because Hunter Biden was working with his business partner to sell their company to the firm that stole the $600 million. So, this, this, just the whole thing is yet another example of the extensive shady business dealings that were swirling around the, around the Bidens in that 2015 2014, 2016, leading up to the 2016 presidential election. And here's a, you know, and here's a million dollar question. What, what's going on now that we don't know about? What's going on now that presumably Hunter Biden is a little more careful with his electronic devices? I mean, the real story is that if they are just absolutely to the hilt denying the stuff that we know is provable that we i mean even if you're a biden fan you got to say at some point there's more truth to this than than you than you realize at first blush 
And if you're objective, you're looking at the staggering evidence. You're looking at different people who don't know about each other saying essentially the same thing. We call that corroboration. Those are, that's independent evidence. If this were put on trial today, based on what I've seen so far, and you had a dispassionate jury, and the last name wasn't Biden, the last name wasn't Trump, the last name wasn't anything that evoked any kind of political feelings or tribalism in people, and you got 12 decent people on that jury, there would be a conviction here. And that's the astonishing thing. That's the part of it that really gets us going. Because at the same time, their people are screaming at the top of their lungs that no one is above the law, and they're pointing hysterically at Donald J. Trump. And you cannot make that argument in good faith and then think what's happened here with the Bidens. What? Joe and Hunter and the rest of the family, too, that vastly enriched themselves. Homes were purchased. College tuitions were paid for. All the stuff that happened. You, look, you can't help but look at this and go, I wonder, I wonder what would happen if they, what would have happened if these people got half, half the scrutiny that Donald Trump did. Legally speaking. And because we know the answer to that, we know that none of this could withstand a, a half or even a quarter of the scrutiny that Trump has uh, withstood so far for uh, the better part of five years, six years, and is only now, because the initial efforts failed, as now starting to face some significant legal challenges. Uh, it, look, it, it, it's... To me, it is all about the justice and the fairness of prosecuting one person who is of one political party to the full letter of the law, not leaving a single stone unturned and declaring that no one is above the law. And then at the same time, Hillary Clinton, right? Barack Obama, you had, oh my God, Eric Holder, I mean, just the just the fast and furious operation. I mean, what an illegal mess that was. And then we have Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, and others in his administration getting away with all of this. And why? Because the FBI apparently is staffed predominantly by, at the top, predominantly by Democrats who have party fealty an ideological uh, connection with these people who would be otherwise targets of not both the FBI and the Department of Justice. So that's the, that's, the, that's the issue, and this is why people are furious about it. And I saw another piece uh, over the weekend talking about how I, crowing, I would say is the right word, they were just absolutely beside themselves happy that Donald Trump looks like he's going to be the nominee because it's going to be so easy to beat and how is it possible that the republicans cannot come to terms with their donald trump problem that is how it's been posited but the reality is 
that no one has done more for the Donald Trump take two uh, rebirth movement as the Department of Justice. And they think maybe on some level that they're smart. They're going to build him up and that then he's going to spectacularly fail in the general election. Uh, what if the, he doesn't? What if he doesn't? What if enough Americans a year from now are absolutely disgusted by what they see? What happens if Joe Biden is, in fact, the nominee? What happens if he, with all of this insanity that is building, it begins to break? And that is a, a mass of, of, of water, right, that, that even the dam of the mainstream media cannot hold. It may get to that point, friends. And when it does, it's, it's going to be messy. And all bets are off. So anyone who, who has, a, has a forecast on how this election goes at this point, it is absolutely wide open. All right, friends, Sam Rajofsky here, your host of The What's Right Show, back in a moment. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. But of course, welcome to Biden's America, where your tax dollars are used to fight for the rights of illegals to enter your country illegally. Sam Rajomsky, News Talk, 840 KXNT. I am just, I don't know what to do. I'm laughing at this Justice Department lawsuit that they filed against Texas and Governor Greg Abbott asking, demanding, not asking, that Texas remove a barrier that they placed in the Rio Grande uh, designed to block migrants from crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, The Associate Attorney General Vanita Gupta said, we allege that Texas has flouted federal law by installing a barrier in the Rio Grande without obtaining the required federal authorization. Imagine this. You're Texas. You have your state getting overrun by illegal immigrants. You ask, ask, not demand, ask the federal government for help. You ask again. You ask again. You ask and ask and ask and get nothing. Because the federal government is run by people who have different politics than you do. They want to see your state overrun. They want to see your state suffer. They want to punish you. So what do you do? First, you say, well, let's get some buses together. We're going to send these people to, uh, to D.C. and to New York. Side note on that, I think New York, what was it, Friday, Thursday, Friday, Mayor Adams got up and said, guys, we we don't have any more room for any more migrants. Not going to happen. We can't put them here. So the next plane or bus or train or covered wagon that we get filled with migrants, we're just going to, I don't know, we're going to send them somewhere else. He said that. So why does tech, 
why I have, a, uh, here's the question. Why does New York City, why can't a Democrat mayor of New York City get up and say with zero to none political repercussion, our state is full, our city is full. We, we don't, we just, we can't, we can't take any more uh, further human beings here. Can't, can't happen. Our shelters are overflowing. We don't have space for these people. We've got to close them. These hotels were temporary. We're running out of funding. We can't do it. But then when a red state, a Republican governor goes out and frustrated by zero action, zero response, zero effort, demagoguery, empty promises, and frankly, a hostile administration that it seems is doing this deliberately and creating untold human misery as a consequence of it, goes out and tries their best to create some obstacles for illegals crossing into the country in the southern border. I mean, what do you, they get sued? That's the answer? That's what this administration can do? What a joke. This is staggering. And, and I don't know, we have to be outraged by this, no? So I, listen, um, I, I mean, I could tell you again my story of my parents coming to this country, doing it legally, how challenging it was. Some legal, mig- uh, uh, some legal immigrants to this country have um, uh, varying levels of, of challenges and, and, and obstacles in their way. I would say my parents had a fair amount. Um, it was a slow process, uh, and, and it, at first... Uh, only my mom could work and my dad couldn't. It was, it was, it, it, you cannot imagine. But they followed the rules and achieved their American dream. But there's something profoundly despicable about this administration literally encouraging people to come to this country, not doing a nick of things about anything to allow to prevent people from crossing the border which in turn signals to all the traffickers and smugglers that operate those routes that they can keep sending people, and indeed they do because it is an immensely profitable undertaking. And then who, who dies and is harmed in the, in, in the exchange of all this, right? The very migrants oftentimes that the Biden administration pretends to be, to be helping. But it's all empty. It's not real. There's not a real uh, 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 care here for these people because if there were, this would, be, this would be stopped immediately. So what is Texas supposed to do, right? What is, what is Arizona supposed to do? New Mexico, what are these places supposed to do in response to this threat? And, and it, it's, you know, it's... By the way, there's a, a story, I think it was in the journal last week, talking about how these borders, uh, these border barricades actually aren't that effective. And I read through it, and I, I can't really decide if that's necessarily the, the, the case. If any of you have 
any personal knowledge of this for family members that, that live along the Texas border and, and know what's going on, please do email me. I would love to hear from you. Sam at samandashlaw.com. Sam at samandashlaw. I believe, uh, I believe any kind of barrier of any kind, anything is better than nothing. And I think, you know, I think efforts to, to I mean, again, right now, there's, there are areas where you just you can wade across a, a relatively shallow river and are virtually guaranteed to get across uh, onto the U.S. side of the border. So this is, this is uh, just absolutely tragic. Now, I wanted to bring this to your attention, too, just because it was a funny piece in the Washington Post. Earlier this program, we were talking about diversity hires. We were speaking of uh, Kamala Harris. We were also discussing a couple of political legal scholars who were uh, advocating for President Biden to simply disregard these terrible rulings coming out of the Supreme Court by these MAGA Supreme Court justices. Theodoric Meyer, or Mayor, writing for the Washington Post, did a piece on the Solicitor General. This is the White House lawyer who defends the administration in uh, matters uh, before the uh, Supreme Court. Her name is Elizabeth Proligar. And she was, uh, she led the the, the fight here um, or had had a hand in the, the affirmative action rulings. Her office, I think, filed an amicus brief. There were not parties in the suit, but she did have, she did make some arguments before the court. So at any rate, Elizabeth Proligar, here's the title of the piece. Biden lawyer who defended affirmative action grapples with diversity in her own office. <laughs> so let me put it to you another way. The, the, so... The lawyer that gets up there is one of the lawyers presenting the pro-affirmative action arguments doesn't have the adequate diversity that she ought to in her own office. Now, the writer of this piece cites in part the attorney's own admission that it's very difficult to find qualified women and minorities to serve on these very important Supreme Court cases where no doubt you need the best and the brightest legal minds to support the endeavor. Taking cases to the Supreme Court is is an immense undertaking. And every clerk operating in the Supreme Court on either side of the case, these are, these are some of the most talented, brilliant lawyers in the country. And she presented it as part of her, you know, her, her, Argument that it was fun, it was a challenge coming even from these law schools to get diversity. So one thing that the uh, it's funny because one thing that the Washington Post did is they 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 looked at it. They said even though the Solicitor General's office doesn't track the race of its lawyers, the Washington Post went in and asked each of the sixty-one lawyers in the office. They did their own census. This is journalism, guys. They went in and they tried to figure out what, what you know, wait. So for 52 responded and confirmed their gender. 51 confirmed their race. 
and the Post uh, confirmed the race of four more and the genders of all the remaining lawyers. And uh, apparently, based on that, they didn't publish the exact breakdown, but based on that, there just was not enough diversity in her office. Um, and more, uh, they did write, though, that more than 80% uh, were, um, of all the nearly three-quarters uh, dozen terms, okay, over the past dozen terms, nearly three-quarters of Supreme Court arguments made by lawyers have been delivered by men. And more than 80% have been made by white lawyers. So this is a big problem, according to uh, the, the Washington Post. See, again, obsessed with stuff that doesn't matter. And they are seething that the Supreme Court dare come down and say, no, what matters is the student and their academic achievement, and that is it. And looking at their race and giving preferential treatment on the basis of race, regardless of what that race is, is unconstitutional and is wrong. But never, never for a minute think these people won't stop obsessing about it. The real racists here are the American left. Can't let them forget that because they won't. They'll keep bringing it up. So that's, according to the Washington Post, the real problem. The lawyer that's arguing for diversity doesn't have enough diversity in her own office. How dare she? Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT, back in a moment. All right, burger enthusiasts, listen up. What a burger is coming to Las Vegas. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. This is a, a burger chain. It's based in San Antonio, Texas. And actually, I, I, people, dis, I, people say to me, there's kind of like two camps out there. The, you know, the camp, the, the in and out camp, and then the Whataburger camp. And I think Whataburger is good. It's really good. It's different than in and out but I think it's it's also a very good type of type of meal. So anyway, it's going to be here. It's coming to the Strip. It's going to be, I heard somewhere it's going to be 24-7, which is a return of a bit of that going on now that, um, that we haven't had since the pandemic when everything shut down. So I'm excited about this. Good news. What a burger coming to Las Vegas. Sam Rajofsky here. Burger fan and enthusiast, political commentator, lawyer, man about town, and all-around good guy. Grateful to be with you here as we come out of this weekend. It's blazing hot. It is. It's going to be hot. I know. I guess temperatures might come down a little bit toward the end of the week. But um, I still think it's going to be pretty toasty for the foreseeable future. So stay cool out there. Keep yourselves in, uh, in, in an air-conditioned space as much as possible. Don't leave your pets in the car. I mean, I, I know some people move here from milder climates and think they can get away with that. You can't get away with that for five minutes. No good will come of that. So uh, be safe out there with all that. Um, I, uh, well, I, I'm gonna, it's funny to me, and I think this is a bad move. And I thought it was a joke, and it may still be a joke. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the Twitter rebrand. 
I didn't even believe Elon Musk was going to change the name of Twitter to X until I opened my Twitter uh, desktop here. And I'm looking at it right now here, people. It's, it's got an X on it. It's got to be the most odd uh, and nondescript looking. Uh, I don't, what, what, what is it? It's just an X. It's like one side is, is, is double thick, and then it's just an, a simple line through it. So as far as logos go, as far as a brand goes, this is very boring. But the other part of it is, I guess they're going to change Twitter to X. They're going to rename it. And I'm always confused when companies do this, when you have an established brand. The most, I guess the most desirable place to be as a company is to have the name of your company define the item or the service that you provide. Let me give you an example. Do you tell somebody you want a Kleenex or do you tell them you want a tissue? <laughs> you say Kleenex. I say Kleenex at least, right? A lot of people do. When you're planning on taking a ride share, perhaps a lift, what do you say? What do you say to your friend who's had too much to drink and it's, you know, 10, 30, 11 at night at the restaurant you're leaving? You go, hey, please take an Uber. Please Uber. Right? You say Uber. So when you're going to send down a tweet, when you're going to, when, when you're going to give a quick thought on the inter, internet, you don't want to write a Facebook post. You don't want to write a novel. You just want to get a quick thought out. What do you do? You send a tweet. And that's the, that's the thing about it. I, I, you've got market share. He spent 40, when it was $44 billion buying this thing. You have market share. You have a brand that has, that's recognizable. And you can work to redefine the brand. You can update the brand. But starting over from scratch can be a little tricky. I remember years ago when I was very first very first personal injury firm i was starting and we had to do some advertising and this is so far back folks that there actually had to be there was some advertising done in something called the yellow pages now many of you know what the yellow pages are and some of you might not even have ever held a yellow page book in your lives but nonetheless uh, the firm I originally started was in California, and there were all these different independent yellow page books, and they were very good directories, and they served specific communities in the greater Southern California area. And there was a large conglomerate called Yellow Book USA, and they came in and they would buy these neighborhood directories, and they would spend millions of dollars buying these directories, overpaying for these businesses at a time when Yellow Pages were on the decline. And the minute they would take over the book, the identifiable local directory that was very successful, what would happen? That book would end up, uh, would end up in, 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 in getting rebranded with the new Yellow Book USA cover. And the next thing that happened, and it's completely foreseeable, is that nobody picked that book up because they didn't recognize it. Now, that's not going to happen. People have got an app downloaded here for Twitter, but still, 
keep changing it to the point where it's not recognizable. I think that's one of the reasons why Meta's threads isn't getting a lot of engagement. Their engagement went up. Everybody told us how this was the Twitter killer. It was the end of Elon Musk, da-da-da-da-da. And then suddenly usership and it plunged because people preferred to be in a comfortable place on a platform they knew and understood. So the more they change on this, you know, it's one thing to make improvements. It's one thing to have a platform where there isn't any censorship. Those are all valuable things to do. Rebranding it completely, I don't know. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Musk fan, but, but I don't understand this, and I think it's perhaps not the best move in the grand scheme of things. So apparently, Twitter will be changing uh, its name to X. Maybe this is all just some kind of a publicity stunt, and we'll find out what happens in the coming days and weeks on this. And by the way, one more thing I need to mention here. Lombardo, Joe Lombardo's uh, approval numbers are the highest they've ever been coming out of this coming out of this legislative session. So in spite of everything, Governor Joe Lombardo doing very well in the polls, proving that Republicans can win, can govern in the state of Nevada, so uh, congratulations to him on that. I think that's fantastic. Hopefully we can deliver some meaningful changes to education. That is a critical thing, and I think it's on the table here in coming uh, special sessions. All right, friends, got to run. Happy Monday. Stay strong out there. Stay cool. Be safe. I will return tomorrow. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. This hour brought to you by Salmon Ash Injury Law because you deserve what's right. <laughs>